This is the Inherit Dream Podcast Network. The Trevor J. Brown Show. The Trevor J. Brown Show is meant for an adult audience. An adult audience. The Trevor J. Brown Show may contain explicit language and topics. Explicit language and topics. Listener discretion is advised. This is the Trevor J. Brown Show. Be a part of the show and email us at inheritdream at yahoo.com. And now, your host, Trevor J. Brown. Welcome into another edition of the Trevor J. Brown Show, right here on the Inherent Dream Podcast Network. Another week, another stellar show for you. Tonight, part two of my interview with friend and former colleague Rick Reed. And if you like music, you'll like our discussion this evening. Then Mark Stone joins for weekly NFL picks. We'll also unveil our top five teams in the league. Let's win some money with Mr. TNT, Mark Stone. And I close the show tonight with commentary. The commentary segment is called Your Parting Gift. And tonight the topic is Generation Blowhards. Welcome to your weekend and your new favorite podcast, the Trevor J. Brown Show, right here on the Inherent Dream Podcast Network. Time to relax. Time to treat yourself. Time for a massage. Time to head to In Good Hands Massage in Malacca. In Good Hands Massage specializes in all types of massage, including deep tissue, relaxation, hot stone, sports massage, and more. They also offer salt lamps, essential oils, and much more. Book your appointment today or get your gift cards at facebook.com slash massage by Lindsay. The Trevor J. Brown Show is brought to you by Realtor Elizabeth Jamelli. Start planning your new low-maintenance lifestyle. Evergreen Townhomes in Elk River just opened and is a community for ages 55+. plus. Located one block north of Abra Auto on Line Avenue, come and check out the new, modern, farmhouse-style homes, plus three additional furnished homes in Tall Pines, too. They're open daily from noon until 3, except on Fridays or any time by appointment. Elizabeth has over 35 years of experience in all aspects of real estate in Elk River, Zimmerman, Sherburne County, and beyond. That's why she's the official realtor for the Inherent Dream Podcast Network. For more information, call Elizabeth Jamelli at 763-286-3729. You're listening to The Trevor J. Brown Show on the Inherent Dream Podcast Network. Rick Reed is my guest here this evening on The Trevor J. Brown Show. Share your story about James Walsh from Gypsy. James Walsh, during this process of me having chemo and the COVID, while I was having symptoms, I purchased tickets to see Gypsy. Now, Gypsy, for those of you who may not know, they're probably the best band to come out of Minnesota. You know, I'm not talking Prince, I'm talking band. They were known as the Underbeats in the mid-60s, and their leader, Jim Johnson, went to Vietnam. And he went for two years, and he had a plan. And when he came back, the music scene in Minnesota, which was hopping, had changed. So they decided to go to California, to L.A., where the music scene was was really going strong. And uh, they got out there, and they changed their name to Gypsy. They had... They had the sound of Santana, of Steely Dan, and the Doobie Brothers before they were yeah. who they were or famous. This was about 68, okay? They went out, 
to LA and they ended up becoming the house band at the Whiskey A Go Go and they replaced a band called Chicago. So they didn't get that gig because they weren't good. Mm -hmm. They had a, two record deals given to them or presented to them. One was with Atlantic, which had a lot of the great bands of the time and in the future. And the other one was Metro Media. Well, they made the decision to go with Metro Media, who had Bobby Sherman on. Mm. <laughs> so what they thought was because they didn't have so many great band, uh, artists on their label, they would go with the lesser known one and, and get better help, better promotion. Well, that wasn't the case. So they made it big in some markets. St. Louis, Missouri, they're huge to this day. They're still huge. Well, James Walsh was the keyboardist and vocalist and one of the arrangers with Gypsy. Through the years, he kept it going. So when I had not, I wasn't feeling well, I didn't know I had cancer yet. I bought tickets in June of uh, 2020 to see them at Medina Ballroom in October. Well, when October came, I was not good enough to go. So my friend, Joe Chesley, who I was going to go with, uh, he took another friend. When he went to the Medina show, before the show, he had some memorabilia he wanted signed. And he knew James Walsh's brother, John, because he golfed with him. So he got permission to go up to James and get this stuff signed. While getting the memorabilia signed, he brought me up and told the story of how he was there, but his buddy couldn't go. Yeah. And he said, what's his name? Well, he told him. He says, I want to meet him. Joe told me this. He got a signed CD and he said, James wants to meet you. I said, what? He goes, yeah, when you're feeling better, he wants to meet you at either your house or my house. And Joe offered up his house. So this is during COVID. And he said, when can he come? And I said, well, I, I usually have a week before I get my next treatment where I feel good, where I can get up and around. Yeah. So we went up to Anoka, Minnesota to Joe's house. And James drove up from Farmington, Minnesota. Wow. But we met for about an hour and a half and we really hit it off. Really hit it off because I, I know music. I've got a pretty good knowledge of music. So he found the conversation pretty stimulating that we had. And so when it was time to go, he goes, Rick, what are you doing the week of November? What, uh, I can't remember what the date was now. I'm inviting you and your wife to crooners. It's in a tent, so you can be a little secluded, a private table. You don't have to be around m many people. Oh, and I want Joe and his wife to go. Would you, will you come? And I said, yes, I will. Yeah. So that was the start of going to a, about eight, eight of his live shows. And he acknowledged me at every show. So what he did was he, he put a spark, a jump on my step. And we shared a lot of stories. And he became friends. He would call and check on me. And he would say, you could, call, you could call me anytime. And I did. And we just shared some great stories and built a friendship. My niece got married in October. And it was going to be James's last show with Gypsy. He announced that at a lunch with Joe and myself a couple of days before that, it would be his last show. And I said, my niece is getting married that same night. He goes, that's OK. And Joe had something else going on, couldn't go. I went to the wedding. And the night, the night was winding down. Yeah. So we just drove down Central Avenue to Crooners and just, I walked in, Joe ended up going, he made it. One of the songs ended, I had sat down and Joe goes, James, Rick's here. He goes, <laughs> what? Rick's here. 
And he goes, Rick, what are you doing here? And I said, well, the band here is a little better. So I thought I'd come and listen to you guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, he just, he loved it. He, he was touched that we all ended up making it to the last show. Yeah. And uh, his, his health went downhill from there. And five months later, we lost him. Yeah. But he, he just made a big, big mark on my life. He, he, was, he was a Christian man. And he showed what generosity and love could do. Do you remember your last conversation with him? Yeah. Joe actually had the last one because he was in a hospice situation. But my, my last conversation was he, he just really appreciated me coming to the show. And uh, we said, do whatever you can to get better, James. And he goes, I'm, tr I'm trying. I'm trying. And he had just gotten married in August. And uh, we said we'd, you know, always watch out for her. And he called us the Three Musketeers. That just means the world to me that. You know, he wanted to hang out with us. He wanted to have lunch with us. Yeah. I mean, here's a guy that he partied with Jimi Hendrix. It's a pretty big deal. Uh, yeah. uh, he toured with the Guess Who. He played softball with Chicago because that's what they would do on their off time. Yeah. They'd play softball. They're Midwestern guys, so they, they hung out together. Uh, the house they had was uh, next to Mickey Dolan's house, wow. so he knew them. Frank Zappa was on the other side. Behind him on the hill was the the Lobianca Tate murders happened there. Yeah. And their band was under question by the FBI. There's a documentary people can check out if they want to learn more. It's just fascinating, this story. Rick Reed, my guest here on the Trevor J. Brown Show. Where do you feel your love for music came from? Oh, definitely my mother. She was 19 years old when she had me, and she had the radio on all the time. You know, she was a teeny bopper, Elvis, huh? Yeah. She had the music on, and my, my first memories are music. She would have that on, and shortly after, there were five other siblings, and music never went away. It was always there. I can remember what I was doing when I first heard a song. It impresses on me. You know, they talk about music's the soundtrack of your life. Well, yeah. it, that's truly how it is for me. Don't ask me what, what my passcodes are, <laughs> numbers, forget it. Yeah. But I, I can tell you the first time I heard Satisfaction where I was. and, and Where were you? I was, I was in the church parking lot. I was a little kid. Uh, how old were you? Let's see. The first time I heard them, I was eight years old. Okay. The first time I heard Satisfaction. Okay. Tell me how white my shirts could be. And I... I just remember the lyrics. It was on the car radio. When mom turned on the, the car to drive us home, it came on. And I go, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, I remember growing up, we would always have dinner. You know, Dad would get home at four thirty, five o'clock, and you would have dinner with the family. Mm -hmm. And my mom had this kitchen radio, and it was always on Cool 108. Well, when you're five, six, seven years old, you don't know if those are new songs or old songs or what. You just know yeah. they're songs. Yeah. So when Dan Donovan is spinning the Beatles and the Stones and Elvis and the Everly Brothers, you're like, this is good stuff. And then you come to realize, like, that's like old music. Like, it ain't new. And it's like, who cares? Like, right. it's the classics. It's the best. Out of all the bands when you were growing up, what, where did you gravitate to the most? That's a great question because I, I, love, I love all the old stuff. But I'd have to say my go-to is I always go back to the British invasion people. Yeah. Not necessarily the early stuff, but how they evolved too. Yeah. I love the Hollies. Yes. Their intricate three-part harmony 
is so good. Mm -hmm. And the guitar work, Tony Hicks, underrated guitarist. The jangle on Look Through Any Window. If any of your listeners remember that song, if you don't, check it out. Look Through Any Window by the Hollies. Uh, it's a perfect pop song. You know, we talked about pop songs. You know, Gypsy didn't really have pop songs, but I did like the pop songs, the stuff yeah. I heard on the radio. I go to that. And then as the British uh, music evolved, when I got into high school, I really got into the Moody Blues. Okay. The Moody Blues had a lot of texture. They had an album called Days of Future Past, which they had the London Symphony Philharmonic as the background. So it fused songs, pop songs, rock songs, I should say. Let's just call it music. Yeah. They fused that with classical music and it worked. And what it was, it was a concept album of going through an entire day, dawn all the way through the end. And it's just a masterpiece. So that's another one to check out. Days of Future Past by the Moody Blues. But that that made me just mentally get enveloped by music. I, I, I was just, it was like a heavy, warm blanket on me. I just loved it. The evolution of the Beatles. You know, you go from, I want to hold your hand to... Why don't we do it in the road? Yeah. I mean, and think of think of the... I always ask this question, and I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer. I mean, I'll tell you what I would do. If you could, would you be a member of the Beatles? And you were around for seven years. You know, 63 to 70. They're done. But the impact is as great or greater, you could argue, than that of the Rolling Stones, who are still a band today and just released a kick-ass album a couple months ago. Trevor, it's funny you yeah. say that because driving up to, to me with you today, I had on a, a 60s satellite radio and uh, the personality on the air goes, isn't this crazy? This week in the top 10, there's the Beatles, the Stones, yeah. and you too. Yeah, think about that. <laughs> I mean, I, I just... And, and like I said, you know what? Everyone has their own their own preference. Right. To me, I, I love both bands, but I'm way more Beatles because of, of just that evolution. And they, they had a record like Sgt. Pepper. To me, the Stones never had a Sgt. Pepper. The, the Stones are an incredible band. I'm not taking anything away from them, but the, the Beatles themselves and some of the things that they did, I mean, think, think about it. They put... East Indian music into every home in America with a song like Love You Too or Within You, Without You. Mm. And because oh, oh. everybody owns Sgt. Pepper. So, and they were ballsy enough to be like, nope, that's making the album and we're putting it there. And then even more, not that it's even a song, but it's more of a song collage, uh, sound collage, but Revolution 9. And you listen to that on headphones and how trippy it is with how it's mixed. They put experimental avant-garde in every home in America. Hmm? Every home in America. And you know what I love about Revolution 9? A lot of people are rolling their eyes at me right now and they're thinking, Trev, that's not, that track sucks. No, because Revolution 9, when that record came out in 1968, I wasn't even thought of being born yet. That, to me, is the sound of chaos that was 1968 and everything going on in America. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah. I mean, and I, I know we really bonded and our friendship blossom, I feel, over music. I remember when David Bowie died. I'm not the world's biggest David Bowie fan. I do like some of his music. But I remember the day he died and we talked in your office for like an hour. 
because he was just something special. I mean, there's there's certain guys where they're just bigger than than life, and Bowie was one of those guys where he just he did not care. He didn't care what you thought of him. He wasn't going to do anything he didn't want to. He was a visionary. David Bowie was a visionary too. All these characters that he created and his persona. And it was like, you know what? This is who I am. You either like it or you don't. Right. Starman. Yeah. Uh, David Bowie, to me, when he did Space Oddity, that was life-changing in some ways. Musically life-changing. It, it put a, a different... It gave me a different lane to go down, if you will. Just the way he... he orchestrated his lyrics and just the feeling you had listening to it you could imagine being out in space yeah in it floating in a tin can the imagery was so powerful with him he was a showman too yeah. when when he did the ziggy stardust phase uh, and then all of a sudden he's on a bing crosby christmas special yeah which blows me away you talk about he did things his own way he he was a showman He'd dress up like this androgynous space guy, but yet he could look halfway normal or mod. He looked mod, actually, when he did the Bing Crosby uh, Little Drummer Boy. Uh, That's one of the them. greatest oh. Christmas songs ever. Oh, yeah. And and you, I, I like to look at the body language and everything. David was very comfortable. Mm -hmm. Bing looked a little uptight yeah. during especially the first part, but then I think they loosened up. He had cancer. He died of cancer. But he still had a very, very good album to go out on. Black Star. Black yeah, Star. Black yes. Star. I'm not even, it's not even an argument. It's his greatest album. What I love about that album is it's so tight. It's only like eight tracks. It's like, give me your best stuff. I don't need the filler. One of my favorite David Bowie stories that I heard was, and I, I like this band. I like this person. Chris Martin of Coldplay. At one point they met. I think they were friendly together. They were talking about maybe doing a collaboration at some point. Chris Martin sent Bowie a sample of a song like, hey, would you like to sing on this? Bowie's response was something in the vein of, it's not your best now, is it, Chris? And that's what he told him. Bowie wasn't going to put his name on anything and everything. It had right. to be something special. And that's what a lot of artists today need to understand. You go, here I am. Here's what I'm doing. Here's my new album. And then I'm going to go away for a while. And when I come back... It's going to be something totally different. It's going to be a reinvention of something. And that's what Bowie did. He had these different characters. He had these different looks. He had these different eras. And that's what he did. I, I wasn't alive when the Beatles when the Beatles were between Revolver and Sgt. Pepper. Up until Revolver, they released albums like every six months. Mm -hmm. And then Sgt. Pepper comes out in 67. But Revolver came out in August the year before. Sgt. Pepper didn't come out until June. That's the longest gap between albums. If I was alive then, I would have been either one, concerned that the Beatles were done and didn't make an announcement, or two, I would have been like, what the hell are these guys up to? I was alive, and I remember all of a sudden they looked way different, the Sgt. Pepper. Yeah. And it was all kind of cartoony, and you remember you had the Vietnam War yeah. back then. You had the traditional, the traditional attitude towards things. The Beatles came in and wowed us, right? Mm -hmm. We accepted their moppy, you know. They, they were the, the clean-cut guys compared to the Stones, right? <laughs> Getting to Sgt. Pepper, they had a transformation. Their music was different. Their look was different. And 
I remember there were some people that started not liking the Beatles because they were getting too different from mm. what they considered tasteful. Is there anything you won't listen to? Rap. Rap. I don't. I don't get it. Yeah. I. I don't. When I went through growing up, seeing the Temptations style, choreograph that Motown. Oh. Motown. <laughs> you know. And now you get guys that just try to rhyme stuff. I don't get it. I don't want to discount it because I know a lot of people love it. Yeah. But for me, it just doesn't resonate. And I don't think it ever will. You know, speaking of Motown, I'll, I'll put on like Diana Ross and the Supremes. I'll listen to some of their stuff. And just imagine sitting in a studio and you're, you're kicking it behind the board. And you're like, all right, all right, ladies, let's go. Here we go. And you hear some of the stuff that they turned out. For the first time, oh my goodness! Like, yeah. just uh, I get chills listening to it now. But then think of being in that room with those women at that time. Do you think like those producers like realized like we got a hit here, like this is gonna be big? Oh yeah, oh yeah. They they had they had their studio musician. It was in a house, by the way. Yeah. And the Temptations would have been there. The Supremes. I mean, the talent in that house. Yeah was amazing. Do I think they knew? Yeah, they knew. They had a formula. It was, that was an amazing time. We were talking about Mount Rushmore. We probably have to have you back at some point to get into this topic more because we could dive into a variety of different Mount Rushmores when it comes to music. I'm not going to ask you to do a Mount Rushmore of like your favorites of all time unless you want to. I think that's really challenging to do. I, I know, like, for me, one is the Beatles. Like, the Beatles are on my Mount Rushmore. The Beatles and then everyone else after that. Mm -hmm. That's your George Washington. Yeah, it's, that's my George Washington. And, again, I don't say it in, like, disrespect to the Stones, but I just I don't ever get into a Stones deep dive. Like, I, like I listen to the Beatles, honestly, every week. Sometimes I've been on a stretch since the new song came out. Like quote unquote new song, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, for for weeks now, they could release an album of them taking a dump somewhere at Abbey Road, and I would buy it, and it would probably go to number one. Rick, yeah, they kind of did. <laughs> Remember, you know my name. Look up the number. I love that song though. You know what? <laughs> when my my late brother Randy and I heard that come out, it was a B side. Right? To let it be. Right. Yeah. So. I got Let It Be for my birthday, and I remember flipping that over, and we we played that as much as Let It Be, yeah, because it was hilarious. How mm -hmm. you know yeah. the, the noises they're making, yeah. and then you got Brian Jones on saxophone yeah. from the Stones on there. I mean that that was just good stuff. They were just having a good time, and I, I they recorded it. I I sometimes send that out just as like a a fun. Well, I sent it to you randomly one day. I sent it to some other buddies. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, the Beatles screwing around is better than 90% of the stuff that's out today. I want to just tell you that female singers, I have one that I would put as my Mount Rushmore. And you might be surprised, you might not. Okay. I, I don't know how far you've gone down the female singers of the 60s rabbit holes. Cass Elliott, for me, is tops. From the Mamas and the Papas? The Mamas and the Papas. She was a force of nature like Bowie. Here's a woman who, just before she graduated high school, she quit. And her parents, of course, were not happy. And she, she went to go, I think she was, she wasn't from New York, but she migrated there with the folk scene and all that. And her talent 
was unequaled. Perfect pitch, and she could sing low, she could sing high, she could sing soft, she could sing loud, and she could harmonize. And here's the thing, in at the times, Trevor, the culture for women, Twiggy, have you ever heard of Twiggy? No. Twiggy was a model, a British model, and all the ads you'd see, everybody had to look like Twiggy, which they looked anorexic. Mm. She, she was so, so thin. And here you got Mama Cass, where all the critics could talk about, instead of her talent, was her weight. Her weight, yeah. And you know what she did? She embraced it. She wore big print clothes, dresses, with vibrant colors. Not to interrupt you, but you know what's sad about that? We haven't even improved as a society. Of course not. I mean, maybe a little bit. But people are still talking about, you know, Twiggy. Well, yeah. that's that's how most men want, you know, they think that's how women have to look. We've gotten a little bit better. I get that. Yes and no. Yeah. Human nature, we, we go with what, what they're telling us in the mass media. Unfortunately, mass media is at our fingertips every second. Mm -hmm. You know, we're being monitored. You know, that's another topic. But, but here's a woman that said, screw it. Yeah. I am who I am. I'm the psychedelic mushroom, whatever you want to call me. I have talent, and I'm going to show it to you. Yeah, she she was just amazing to me. And well, see, and I think that way on uh, well, a lot of female artists, but especially country artists mm -hmm. from from the early days. Mm -hmm. What's funny is if you really dive into country radio, the history of country radio, and this is still not as prevalent today, but they still do it. They would never play like back to back songs by females. Mm -hmm. It's always been male driven yeah. country. Yep. But yet I look at some of the most iconic people of country music in the 60s. Most of them are women or in the 70s. Tammy Wynette. Yeah. Think of like Loretta, Loretta Lynn, Lynn, what she was singing about yeah. in the 60s. And again, what's sad about that, you mentioned Mama Cass, how we talk about body image and have we really improved? Loretta Lynn was singing about the pill in the 1960s. That was controversial then. It's still controversial now. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Tammy Wynette yeah. was singing about divorce. Yeah. When you couldn't mention it on sitcoms back then. You Think know? about that. Yeah. Think about Loretta Lynn. Think about like Dolly Parton. Patsy Cline. Yes. Think she, of that voice. She died, she died too soon. Yeah. Uh, walking after midnight. Yeah. How about Mount Rushmore for guitar players? Okay, I don't want to, I'm just going to go from where I came from. Okay. You know, you, you got the obligatory Jimi Hendrix. Oh, he has to be there. Yeah. Okay. You, you got that because he, he set the tone for so yeah. many players. Clapton, I know they tried to cancel Culture Him recently, and, and I just hate that. Yeah. I, I hate that. Uh, it's like we want to get rid of history just because you don't agree, agree with something. I mean, Keith is not a great guitar player. His riffs. Yeah. I mean, Brown Sugar. Jumpin' Jack Flash. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are riffs. For that, I like him on there. Other guitar players. I'm, th I'm throwing Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yes. I saw him the night before he died oh. at Alpine Valley. And he was on stage. They all got on stage together at the end. It was Clapton. It was Stevie Ray Vaughan, Robert Cray, and Jeff Healy. He blew them all away. He was so good. He and Double Trouble. I mean, it's three guys, yeah. and, and you'd think it was four guys, five guys, six guys. The guy got a little bit of chance for a little redemption. He was clean. Mm -hmm. You know, for most of his life and career, he struggled with alcohol and yes, drugs. Yes, he did. Got a little 
God told him, I'm going to give you this yep. little bit. Yep. And then he died in the plane crash. But I, I listened to Stevie Ray Vaughan and how I, I think of certain artists, and I know it's just a, like a what-if thing, but you listen to a song like Lenny or Riviera Paradise, oh. the dude would have done jazz. He would have had jazz albums out. He would he would have still kicked your butt with Double Trouble, but he would have been a guy like, uh, t- totally different music, but at, like in a Bruce Springsteen type of way where Bruce kind of surprises you, like... I remember growing up and The Rising came out. That album is so good. And it was like his first album with the E Street Band in like 20 years. And you're like, oh, here's Bruce back. This is a great album. It was a heavy album because it was right around 9-11. So a lot of the themes on it were dealing with like the, that tragedy. and But it's also talking about friends and having the E Street Band back. And you're like, man, this is cool. Like now they're back together. Yeah. What's the album he does after that? He's back doing solo acoustic stuff. And he did the album Devils and Dust, which is very good too. It's a very strong album, but it's like, I've always respected Bruce in a way. I mean, I, I can go on a negative Bruce rant too, but yep. I've always respected him for he does what he wants to do. And you're not going to just put them into one lane. To me, the, that's what Stevie Ray would have been. That's what the great ones do. Mm-hmm. They they don't want to be put into a box because creativity you can't you can't keep churning out the same stuff and expecting it to be fresh to them. Mm-hmm. And if it's not fresh to them, they don't want to do it, and they shouldn't do it. Yeah. Think about this as as we wrap this up. As as I've kept you now for for a long time here interviewing you, which I appreciate the time. Sure. But. There's something to be said about artists in like their 40s and early 50s. They suck. It's like they've lost all creative juice and they might still put out albums and they still might have a few good songs. My proof is this. I'll give you a couple examples. Bruce, when he put out Tunnel of Love, he was probably what? in his, I don't know his exact age, but he was probably in his 45, maybe 50. Album's terrible. Paul McCartney, his 80s were terrible like not not very good like if there's a weak spot in his career it's his 80s mm-hmm. and he was you know 40 45 then and then you hit the resurgence to me the resurgence was you know he had off the ground in 93 had some big hits on that uh flaming pie in 97 and then driving rain when driving rain came out that wasn't as big of an album as flaming pie but that's when he toured the world and that was his first really big tour in 2000, 2000, 2001 at that point in eight years. And he toured uh, with Flowers in the Dirt in the late 80s and off the ground. There was that time where he didn't tour after Lennon was murdered because he was uncomfortable doing so. But the band with Flowers in the Dirt and off the ground wasn't as strong as the band he has now. And you know why the band uh, now is better? Because he's been playing with them for 25 years. They are tight. Oh, my goodness. They are so tight. Think about that, too, Rick. That's the band he's played with the longest yeah. in his life. Yeah. There, there's some merit to that where they go through a, a creative weak point, but they do pick it up again. I, I'm i excited to listen to the new Stones album. That's great. I got my buddy that keeps feeding, feeding me clips of it, but I really need to dive deep into it. Just go buy it. You're going to... You're gonna. It's good enough to just go buy it yeah. right away. Yeah. And by the way, I'm playing wax. I I like playing my turntable. I've got a nice setup now downstairs. Now that my adult children have moved out, uh, I've got space I can yeah. do that. So that's good stuff. 
I appreciate you coming in, and we'll we'll do it again sometime soon. I'm glad we finally got a chance to do this, and I look forward to the next time. Thanks for having me on, Trev. Rick Reed here on the Trevor J. Brown Show. Hi, this is Regina Noel Downing, the owner and instructor of the Regina Noel Music Studio and author of the Family Story Songbook series, including Give a Little Snuggle, The Bedtime Rhyme, and Dear Mom and Dad. If you're looking for educational entertainment for your school, daycare, or library delivered with a song, I'm available for live and or Zoom engagements and classes. And if you need an experienced guest speaker for educators, future educators, and even parents about how to build rapport and connect and teach effectively with compassion, please contact me. My email is author.reginanoeldowning at gmail.com or visit my website www.linktr.ee slash author r n d here's to you doing the best you can with what you've got i hope to hear from you soon isaac jensen here owner of jensen sales plus in princeton looking to buy or sell on craigslist amazon or ebay i can help you with that need help with an estate clean out i can help you with that too you can count on Jensen Sales Plus to not only meet, but to exceed all of your needs and requests. For more information, give me a call at 763-742-4583 or visit online at jensensalesplus.com. Jensen Sales Plus is a proud supporter of the Inherent Dream Podcast Network. Programming is made possible by Jenna Jensen. Let Jenna Jensen be your Paper Pie brand partner. She'll help you find books, activities, and even toys that are educational, engaging, interactive, and are sure to be loved by all the kids in your life. Head to our Sponsors tab on InherentDream.com to place your Paper Pie order with Jenna. This is the Trevor J. Brown Show on the Inherent Dream Podcast Network. It's Friday night. It's the Trevor J. Brown Show, and Mark Stone is here for another Free For All Friday. Free For All Friday! How are you, Stone? I'm doing good, Trevor. Of course, it is Friday. It's the holiday season. We're right in the middle of it. Everybody's busy. Get that holiday shopping in, and while you're getting that holiday shopping in, it's time for us to bounce back and make some cash so you can take that not only to the bank in the cash, but then also go and buy either the special someone in your life, your kids, whatever, some great holiday gifts as Santa Stone is coming to town with those picks, baby. <laughs> I don't think a whole lot of people won money last night on, on the game. My Patriots, they, they, <laughs> they've been terrible all year, but somehow uh, they, they got the victory in, in Pittsburgh last night. And, and what's going on with the Pittsburgh Steelers at this point? You have two two-win teams come to town. Arizona last week, you lose that game. You have the two-win Patriots coming to town. You lose that game. It's probably not a great day to be a Steeler fan or Coach Mike Tomlin at this point. No, it was it was really bad last night. I had a vesting interest in it because, of course, it's, it's that time of year, fantasy football playoffs. I had Deontay Johnson. I had Minka Fitzpatrick both going in that game. Um, everything's key. If I win, I'm in the playoffs. So trying to pull out that win, Deontay Johnson, of course, hit pay dirt on the only deep pass that Mitch Trushitsky could hit in that whole game as he's become captain checkdown. And Minka Fitzpatrick had a great game, too, with tackles on defense. But, yeah, your Patriots putting up 21 in the first half after only putting up 26 points total in the last 
last three weeks, everybody was betting the under. It was like a 30-year all-time low of only 30 points, and that was blown away in the first half as 31 points yeah. were put up before halftime. So great Monday night game, by the way. I, I was bitching and moaning that this should have been flexed out, but – you got Belichick, you got Tomlin, you know, Belichick. I mean, we pretty much, it's, it's all but a done deal. He's probably going to get traded in the offseason to wherever he's going. Washington is what I've heard as far as as far as far they've got something apparently lined up from getting Riverboat Ron out there. But you mentioned it. I mean, Pittsburgh loses two games against two crappy teams. They're now probably outside looking in the AFC playoffs. Mike Tomlin's in trouble. You look at all those teams, and obviously things can change as we get more games in, into the weekend here on Sunday, but all of those teams, Stone, currently in the wild card for the AFC, I saw the, 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 the picture last night, you know, and it was like, well, Pittsburgh was in there and Indianapolis, and I think Cleveland has one of the spots, and I'm like, honestly, all of those teams, I don't even know if they'll make the playoffs. I think they could fall out. I still think a team like Houston, they have more upside at this point. I mean, one of them will probably end up making the playoffs, maybe two, maybe all of them, but I just, I'm not really sold on any of them at this point. Well, I know when the season started, we talked about how much the AFC is just going to be a juggernaut, that you were going to need 10 or 11 wins just to get in the playoffs. And it's kind of flipped on its head. The AFC has now become the trash conference where I still think Kansas City and Baltimore are just way ahead of the class and they both haven't been as great as they possibly could be. And everybody else is just like you said, you could have a Cleveland team getting in there. You could have a Cincinnati team with Jake Brown now sneaking into the playoffs. I mean, they said this week, if Derek Carr does not start this week, it it is a week with the most starting backup quarterbacks in the NFL since a week way back in 1983. That's how bad the quarterback position has gotten due to injuries and such in the league right now. So it makes it for an interesting thing. It's definitely watered down the AFC and the NFC. Again, the NFC has shown they've had consistent quarterbacking from their top teams. Their starters are all there. They're looking like the class of the league and they're looking like they're going to shape to be the playoffs to watch over the AFC. Did you hear that stat? Obviously it, it, it was broken last night with the Patriots winning, but uh, the Patriots, the three games before that, the first team since like the thirties, to yeah. allow 10 points or less and lose all of the games. The team that did it before was like the – it wasn't the Chicago Bears. It was some other team that was in Chicago at the time. And I'm like – Like the Chicago Cardinals? Yeah, like my goodness. I mean, that's that's flirting with history you don't want to be a part of. So, all right, let's – before we get into picks for week 14, let's unveil our top five. I'm going to roll it like this, and, and things have, have changed so much this season, so we'll probably laugh at this next week, but – as of right now, I feel stone. There's three teams that I'm going to put in elite status and the rest with like four and five down to 10. One week, a team could be four. The next week, they could be 10. I need to see more from a team like Miami. Are they real or are they pretenders? I need to see more this weekend, especially from the Dallas Cowboys. If the Cowboys beat the Eagles, then I can consider putting them in my top five. But until they beat a legit team, I'm not putting them in there. So here's what I'm doing. You're 49ers. What a victory last weekend. 
They kicked the crap out of the Eagles. That was a dominating win. They moved to number one. I'm moving Baltimore to number two. Uh, I like their young playmakers on offense, but I think defensively, that's their bread and butter. I'm moving Philly down to three. And then here comes four and five. I could I could legitimately take uh, you know five or six teams and throw them in here. Right now at four, I'm going to put Detroit. And at five, I'm going to put Kansas City. Okay. I have my top five from last week was Philly at one, Baltimore at two, San Fran at three, Kansas City at four, Dallas at five. Um, my top three is the same as yours. We kind of mentioned it last week. That Philly-San Francisco game, the winner was going to move in this top spot. San Francisco on the road, totally destroyed them. Debo Samuel went on, I mean, he went on record last year saying how bad Philly's secondary was. They asked him about it again last week. He didn't mince words. He feels they're trash, and he showed them how trash they were. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it, 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 it's just like Debo's like, I don't care. I will, I will single-handedly beat this team, and he did. And that's, and it, it's just, I mean, I have no problems trash-talking as long as you can back it up. Football, I don't like to trash-talking so much because you're kind of talking for 11 other guys. But Debo single-handedly, even taking that one to the yard on that third touchdown, he got the ball behind the line of scrimmage and went 55 yards cutting through that whole team to get there. I mean, it's just, it's just one of the best performances I've seen from a player who went verbally out and talk trash to one of the teams that have talked the most trash in the past year and a half. And Philly's always been able to back it up and they could not back it up here at home. Um, even to the point too, where they tried to have the head of the security <laughs> buffet, Dominic come in and get involved in this, in this game and that didn't work. So again, hats off to San Francisco, their heads and shoulders above everybody right now. If they are healthy, I haven't seen a San Francisco team this dominant since the 94 team when they went and single-handedly bought the whole Pro Bowl team and brought them into town. Baltimore still at my number two as they were last week, so we're the same there. Philly fell to three. I still think they're a quality team, but they are just too banged up. They are going through a gauntlet here. I got Dallas at four. Dallas beating Seattle on Thursday night, you know, just doing it. And again, they do this at home. They haven't beaten a winning team yet. I mean, you could say they did over Seattle, who at the time was six and six, I believe, and has now fallen. Well, no, they were six and five. So yeah. they did it, but they've fallen to six and six now. So they're still not technically a winning team, but they did beat a winning team at that time. I've got them at four again. Lots of things coming up this week when Philly plays Dallas at Dallas there. I got Miami slipping to five. But again, like you said, I got from four to 14. It depends on who does what weekly, what we see. I mean, I got Detroit right outside at six, Kansas City at seven. Kansas City can't lose that game in Lambeau. I'm sorry, you just can't if you want to be a top five team in this league. So just different things there, but that is my top five. So top three, same as yours, four and five, a little different, but your four and five are at my six and seven. So it's all right in there. Yeah, a couple of teams that really, really flushed the toilet last week with some opportunities. Jacksonville can't lose that game at home to Cincinnati. I don't care who is at quarterback for Cincinnati. And, you know, even if if Joe Burrow started that game, that's a game for Jacksonville that you have to win. If you're supposed to be a legit team that we're supposed to fear in the AFC, when, when Joe Burrow comes to town, when Patrick Mahomes comes to town, if you lose by a field goal, that's one thing. But too often... They never take care of business. 
they they either lay a complete egg and they don't even show up when they battle a team like Kansas City when they got destroyed, or a team like Cincinnati comes to town and it's like, well, nine out of 10 people are saying Jacksonville should win this game easily. And you have Browning come in and he looks like Joe Montana. You can't have that happen. And also you hit it on the head. Kansas city can't go into Lambeau and lose that game. Somehow Jordan love now looks like he's you know, Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers combined with a little Russell Wilson from 10 years ago. I mean, my goodness, that's just, it's, it's not acceptable. And, and you know what stone, before we get into picks, I think it shows you, honestly, Patrick Mahomes, I, I this isn't going on a limb, but the dude's going to get MVP consideration every year, but especially this year, his numbers might not be as good as what they have been in the past, but the, who, who, who's, who are some of his playmakers on the offensive side of the ball? You take away Travis Kelsey, his receivers suck, and the run game with the enemy not being there, th- their biggest flaw this year, in my opinion, is the lack of an established running game. Everything they were doing last year, early on before Clyde Edwards-Alaire got hurt, but then McKinnon stepped in, you had Pacheco running all over the place. They were more dynamic with the run game last year than they have been at all this year. Their run game is one of the worst in the league this year. No, I think Eric Bieniemy is a guy who's definitely going to be a head coaching uh, candidate, and I think I think I know where he's going. Um, he's going to get fired in Washington, just like Riverboat Ron's whole staff. And you can move Belichick and the company are already got a storage unit there with stuff ready to go. Steve Belichick's ready to take over that defense and get some ribs over there on the side and start licking those and get <laughs> after it with that barbecue sauce and all that. Um, Eric Bieniemy. He played for him as a player. It's a perfect opportunity for him to shine. Plus, this ownership group is historically cheap. He will be the next head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers next year. Ooh, I like that. You pair him with, with Herbert? Herbert. Yep, you pair him with Herbert and those receivers and everything they've got going there. I see the enemy going there, bringing a great defensive coordinator with him from somewhere that we've already talked about. There's going to be plenty of them out there, and that's going to be a great opportunity for somebody. He's going to be the next head coach, and he's been the thing missing in Kansas City. Yeah, you go cheap on the offense because you got to pay Mahomes and you got to pay Kelsey which means, of course, you're cutting everything else. And they've got quality running backs that they've drafted over the years, but they don't know how to utilize them anymore. Whereas you're watching in Washington what they're doing offensively and what they shouldn't be doing offensively. It's it's the enemy all the way here. So fantastic job to him. Pivoting to something you said earlier where you're talking about Jordan Love and how much he sucks. Well, I'm I'm sorry, folks. We got we to gotta switch, our, switch our opinion on that. He doesn't suck anymore. He is a guy who who is looking good, and they put up a stat on the on the Sunday night game last week where they compared Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love through their first eleven games starting. I saw that record completion percentage, everything nearly identical. Now, don't get me wrong; I do not think Jordan Love is going to have the career that Aaron Rodgers does. But I even kind of said it to my wife, who's a diehard Packers fan. I said. Even before the season started, I said, I think Jordan Love could be better than you think he is. And he's showing us Matt LaFleur is coaching him up, and Matt LaFleur continues 
is undefeated in December, and that continues to roll. Packers are going to be a dark horse. I think they could sneak into the playoffs with their schedule that they have left. Well, what will be funny is when the Packers make the wild card and the Vikings don't. Now, look, I get the Vikings lost, Kirk Cousins and all of that, but I also think maybe we need to cool it down on on being so hard on Matt LaFleur. You know, we, we've given him some crap over the years, and I'm not saying that he's Bill Belichick, but... You know, the dude, I, I don't think a lot of people had had expectations that the Packers would make the playoffs this year. And they're they're right, they're right there. I mean, and and look, you're probably right. I need to probably issue a an apology here for to Jordan Love. I want to see more of it, you know, but I was probably a little too hard on him to start the year. But I want to see more of it. It's nice, you know, to and uh that's that's a game beating Kansas City at Lambeau. Taking care of business, that's huge for confidence for him. And and that Packer team, you know, at this point, they're playing with house money, so why not, right? Um, let's get into week 14. We'll start Texans and Jets. I don't care who's starting for the Jets at this point. If it is Zach Wilson, I mean, is he even going to go out there and want to play? This shows Stone the ineptitude of... I, I've been a champion for Robert Sala for a long time, and I know that ownership has pretty much I think they're kind of controlling a lot of who he's going to be playing at quarterback there's there's more to it than Sala but at the end of the day my goodness I mean you you start Wilson he's a disaster we can agree on that then you bench him and now you you might start him again I mean why I mean at this point have some linemen go out there and play quarterback it'd be more entertaining I'm going to take the Texans on the road well, the Jets failed miserably here, allowing allowing Aaron Rodgers to GM his GM this team like he was trying to GM the Packers. Packers made a smart move. They're in the playoff window, and the Jets aren't. And Rodgers and all the cronies he brought there are now all surprising, you know, healthy scratches every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting move here. The wise guys love the Jets in this game. The Texans have been a crappy team on the road. You got to remember, this Texans team is a team that is that Carolina has their only win over all season. So, you know, it's a different team on the road. It's supposed to be bad weather. Again, bad weather stretching the whole NFL. Again, just like it was last week, monsoons all over the place, which means anything could possibly happen. I mean, you mentioned the quarterback controversy. We already know Zach Wilson had to be talked into to become the starter for this team again. He doesn't want to go out there behind that crappy line and try to get it. They tried the Tim Boyle project. Thanks again, Aaron Rodgers, for bringing him here. And now he's he's out at the unemployment line with our friends, all our other coaches that have been fired over the years trying to find a job. They went with Trevor Simeon. That looked horrible. Now they brought in Brett Rippett Farts <laughs> trying to come in here and challenge for a starting spot it's it's just a disaster in new york unfortunately i think Sala's going to lose his job over the dysfunctionality same way the man genius did when they brought in brett Favre here um and i don't think he should he's a defensive coordinator that would be perfect with the enemy and the chargers next year so watch for that development if you're gonna bet this game i think you already missed the value of the line which opened up around six or seven it was down at five and a half now down to three and a the wise guys love the Jets, and they said to still bet on them, but I am picking Houston to win in what's probably going to be a pretty disgusting game. Uh, kind of like C.J. Stroud. You you know 
how critical I have been of Cam Newton over the years. Is Cam, did, did anyone call Cam Newton from the Jets? Did they even consider that this year? I mean, I'm not saying that they would be even in the playoff hunt. Maybe they have less wins. Uh, there's no way they have less wins. They might have a couple more wins. I mean, I- instead of calling Cam Newton, you call Rippin' Farts or whatever his name is. I mean, what is the Bryce R- Ripen or whatever? Ripe Farts? I mean, seriously. Yeah, ripping farts. Like, come on, dude. Like, what? who is this guy? I mean, I I don't get it. I, I, I just don't understand it. And, uh, like, whatever. That's why, that's why you're not making the playoffs. Yep. So, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens next season when Aaron Rodgers returns. I have a feeling this team's going to look a lot different. Buddy Wackett will be gone. I mean, even he came out this week when they're like, oh, you're going back to Zach Wilson. Well, we, our original plan was for Zach Wilson to watch this year. So he got to watch the last two games. So now he's ready to come back in. This is an offensive coordinator who's totally clueless. And we've talked about him numerous times on this show. Sala couldn't get shouldn't He should have moved as fast as he can. Aaron Rodgers took over this team, and he's going to cost everybody their jobs. Congratulations, Packers. You made the right move. Once again, the Jets, one of the most dysfunctional franchises around. Great job, Woody Johnson. You're one of the best owners. Mark Stone is here. Rams and Ravens. I think this game's going to be closer because the Rams have a lot to play for. They're in that wild card chase. But I think Baltimore, at the end of the day, takes care of business at home. You know, Stone Cold Lock of the Week got back on track with Tampa last week. I know some of you were wondering, what are you doing here, Stone? But Stone was right, but we've been waiting for this. We're talking about it. It's going to be monsoons, bad Baltimore coming off a bye week. Oh, lock it in. The Stone Cold Lock of the Week is the Baltimore Ravens for this week. So, and excited about that. But also, you telling, you're, you're talking about it. If you've got seven and a half out there, which the line, according to the FanDuel Sportsbook right now, and this is Friday morning, is still seven and a half, you take it. If it falls seven or below, do not touch that line. But if right now, take the Rams at seven and a half. They're a better team than if it's going to be bad weather. It's going to be closer than that. But Baltimore will win at home. Give me the Ravens. Panthers and Saints Sunday at noon from New Orleans. Saints got to have it, man. I'll take New Orleans at home. You know, I, uh, Derek Carr has been so bad, and now it looks like he's got head, shoulders, knees, and toes, <laughs> freaking injuries or whatever here. Jameis, crab legs, Winston's going to come in and, and pilot this offense. They're at home in the Dome. The wise guys love this game. They bet it down. I think it opened up at 7. It's now at 5.5 in some books, 4.5 in the others. If it's at 4.5, do not touch it. 5.5, everybody likes the, uh, the Panthers if it's 5 or more. So that's something there. I'm not touching this game. I still can't trust the Panthers. I didn't trust them last week against Tampa. That that showed right there. They got beat. I don't trust it this week in a game that New Orleans has to win. They're will be mistakes galore they probably won't cover but they should hold serve in the dome and dennis allen just sucks against the spread so new orleans will win just because the panthers are that bad colts and Bengals on sunday hello jake browning i like cincinnati at home you know, I like Cincinnati as well, Trevor. You know, Cincinnati's gone from a gone from a dog to a favorite, and when you do that, you're always supposed to bet the opposite side. 
But Jake Browning looked like you said looked good against against the Jags last week. Um, they're all of a sudden back into the playoff picture. They believe they can win with them. Um, as far as India's gone, you know, Colts were you know blew that game. I mean, Colts got lucky last week in the game against Tennessee. Again, I lost my bet on that one. Um, I don't think the luck continues. They don't. They played horrible against Tennessee. They don't win that game, but that punter doesn't get injured. So it was the holder for the for the field goals. He's he got you no longer can punt. So I think Cincinnati at home defends their territory, stays in the playoff picture. Give me Jake Browning and the Fighting Cincinnati Bengals. Falcons and Buccaneers Sunday from Atlanta. Atlanta's just a different team when they're at home. I'll take Atlanta. I just can't trust the Falcons here. Tampa's still fighting. Wise guys like Tampa on this. A lot of other people don't. I mean, Tampa's the dog at plus two and a half. The line is right when you're talking about a divisional game. I just think with this D and the way they've just been playing, I just think Tampa's better. I mean, freaking Arthur Smith can't figure out how to use this offense. They've been so lucky. I think this is just a field goal game. It can go either way. I'm picking Tampa to stay in just because Atlanta finds always a way to shoot themselves in the foot, and I can't bet this game either way either. Uh, Jacksonville and Cleveland. I assume uh, C.J. Beathard or whatever his name is is starting for Jacksonville. Well, that's what it's looking like. I mean, Trevor Lawrence has a severe high ankle sprain, even though he's taking reps or whatever. I think it's more of a coach's, you know, kind of a coach's ploy here to force Cleveland to prepare against both quarterbacks. It doesn't matter. Trevor Lawrence is not, if it's a for sure high ankle sprain, he's not, he'd be the first guy ever to play on (laughs) and not miss a game with that kind of injury. And that's severe. Plus the fact too, Jacksonville couldn't find the cart in their whole building. What's the deal with that? Again, we talked about this Sean Conn, you know, another guy who's just a horrible owner, just dysfunctionality central, you know, um, <laughs> make a security guard. They should have gotten big Dom down there, and he could have carried off Trevor Lawrence yeah. back to the back to the locker room. I mean, just ridiculous. And Cleveland's defense. Cleveland's defense is legit here. Joe Flacco seems to have the offense purring again. I think Cleveland wins at home. This is one of my top three bets with the Rams this week. It's not the carved in stone bet of the week, which, again, we went with Washington last week. Bad move. I said we shouldn't bet them again. We're never betting them again. We are done. But we're going to get bounced back. We're going to finish up strong. You're going to like what you see right here. I'm not doing an ad for Men's Warehouse. I'm doing an ad for the carved in stone bet of the week. But you do right now. Cleveland, that's one of my top three bets. Right now it's negative three. I do believe with the wind, the weather, in that stadium at home, the Browns continue to shock the world and roll off another win to stay in the AFC playoff race. Yeah, I'm going to take the Browns at home too. I, I, I even if Trevor Lawrence was playing, I, Jacksonville they they are a team that they just they never take care of business anyway. Not that this is necessarily a game where it's like you know you should go in and and win, but. You know, coming off of last week with Cincinnati, that was just a demoralizing loss. So, and that defense, you hit it on the head with Cleveland. They are uh, they are purring. Speaking of purring, how about the Motor City Kitties going into Soldier Field? I like the Lions on the road. 
Yeah, I'd like them to win this game, but this game's also going to be a sloppy mess based upon the weather at Soldier Field. Um, Chicago is the bet here right now. They are a three-point dog, I believe. Yes, three-point dog. This opened up at five and a half. Wise guys bet it down right off the bat. One thing we know, Detroit's not good outdoors. Mm -hmm. Jared Goff struggles outdoors. This is his last outdoor game of the season. So that's good news for Detroit heading into the home stretch. But this definitely could ring it, folks. This could be upset special, you know, but... It's a, it, it, it's going to be an interesting game. It's a division rivalry. Um, I'm picking Detroit to win, but it's going to be a lot closer than it should be, and Chicago has the ability to pull off the upset here. Only a couple minutes left here. Seahawks and Niners. Niners at home, I like them. Yeah, I mean, they've been so dominant. I think the 10.5 may be a little too big. I'm still not betting it because San Francisco's looked so good that they're healthy. It's going to take some injuries to really take this team off its pedestal. So, yes, I am with you. You go with San Fran. Vikings coming off the bye in Vegas against the Raiders. Uh, It might be surprising some people, but I'm going to take Vegas disagreement here i think minnesota knows they've got to win now to stay in the playoff race vegas had their bounce with antonio pierce taking over um you're getting justin jefferson back for this game i think that's going to give enough of a boost i don't know if they covered the total three points that's the difference here so if you're gonna bet it maybe bet vegas i'm staying away from it um they came off a hard loss before the bye week losing to chicago the Vikings did. I think a week off, JJ's back. I think it's enough boost. They know they need this win to stay in the playoffs. They make it happen. Give me the Vikes. I just had a thought in my head. Brandon Staley gets fired after Sunday's game. I'm taking the Broncos on the road. Yeah, you got to go with the Broncos. Broncos also embarrassed last week with their loss. Um, they need to stay into in this AFC playoff picture. Um Something, I mean, you know, Chargers always find a way to screw things up, right? I mean, that's one thing we know. It's a two and a half point uh, spread for the Chargers. Brandon Staley sucks as a <laughs> uh, as a freaking favorite. Herbert's gone bad. I just it, there's so many things wrong here. I agree with you. Denver bounces back. Denver wins. Give me Denver. Bills and Chiefs Sunday 325 from Arrowhead. I'm taking the Bills on the road. Oh God, Trevor. Don't you do that. Josh Allen, baby. Here he comes. You've been reading the reports about Sean McDermott. No. And just everything that is wrong now in Buffalo. It's been about a thing last three days. He's made it. He made an inappropriate comment oh, about no. 9-11 and the hijackers and how well-planned they were. And we've got to execute the way they did. And Yikes. Also, too, it comes out of the building, the dysfunctionality of Sean McDermott and his staff and the fact that, you know, Leslie Frazier resigned, was not fired because of that dysfunctionality. He can't run things. He has no relationship with Josh Allen, the quarterback. This Bills thing is running off the tracks. I said it before when the season began. Plus, you got Kansas City coming off a bad loss against against Green Bay. No, there's bad blood. On the road. On the road. Taylor Swift. This, this is this this is <laughs> coming. They're coming at home. This is a rivalry game. Um, we've talked about Mahomes 
just how dominant Mahomes is as a three-point or less favorite against the spread. Mahomes is 15-5-1 in his career as a three-point or less. So you folks, I bet this at two-and-a-half, and it was the carved in stone bet of the week. Oh, the public money continues to love the Bills. You've got a great opportunity. You've got great value. It is now a one and a half point favorite for Kansas City. You run to the bank and you put that money down. The Carmen Stone bet of the week is the Kansas City Chiefs. Not only do they win, but they cover the one and a half points because even I believe they'll win at least by a field goal at home in Arrowhead. Let's do it, Kansas City. That's the win. That's carved in stone. Better the week, baby. If Sean McDermott actually said those things, that's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Why you would ever do a rah-rah speech and have that in your speech. I That is just dumb. All right, uh, Eagles and Cowboys, lock of the week stone for me. Philly on the road. Oh, disagreement here. One thing we've seen, one thing we've seen Dallas do well is play at home. <laughs> and, this, and this team seems to be on the road. I mentioned it before. Philly's banged up. They're banged up on their offensive line. They, I mean, on their offensive line as Lane Johnson will probably go for this game, but he got eaten alive in that game against San Francisco. And now you're going to have freaking... God, who's D-Law and Micah Parsons going after these guys? Come on. Uh, Jalen Hurts got, I mean, apparently they're saying it wasn't a head injury in that game. I don't care if it's a head injury or what. He's been banged up. He doesn't look the same. Defensively, San Francisco exposed them, and Dallas's offense is almost as dynamic, especially on the road. Their DB sucked. Hell, they took a cut Shaq Leonard from Indy who does not want him anymore and they're going to plug him into their linebacking core on a week's notice to try to shore things up here it's falling apart in Philly I still believe they get it together but this run that they have to go through here has just been devastated for them from a uh, from a physical standpoint give me Dallas in this one Dallas wins on Sunday I will be a believer in Dallas until they beat a good team I'm I'm going to pick against him and McCarthy. But uh, uh, prove me wrong. Prove me wrong on Sunday and then I will I will uh I'll believe in him. We get a double header for Monday Night Football Packers at Giants, Titans at the Dolphins. I'm going to go with the Packers and I'm going to go with Miami at home. Yeah, I don't think you can disagree with either one of those things. Packers have been playing really well. The Giants, you know, it, it's you're, you're rolling out Tommy don't call me Danny DeVito, but <laughs> You know, the Pisano's been serving those cutlets, and they've been looking really tasty the last couple weeks. I do believe the Giants keep this close. I do like Green Bay as one of my top five bets. I mean, the Giants is one of my top five bets this week as a a six-and-a-half-point dog. I do believe it's going to be a closer game. It's going to be bad weather in the Meadowlands as well, so you got that. Tennessee and Miami, same thing. Miami's a a 13-and-a-half-point favorite. They're going to blow out Tennessee here um, at home. They've been very, very dominant. I don't know if they'll cover the 13-and-a-half, but it'll be good enough. So, yes, give me Miami as well. My producer, Shoshana the Cat, is rubbing up against the the microphone right now. She is very passionate about your uh, Cowboys-Eagles take. So she said she might have to throw some money at that game uh, and, uh, and bet you for that. 
Well, Shoshana, you better bet those Cowboys if you want to win that money. Even at three and a half, I do believe they're going to cover, which means they win by four or more. I appreciate you, Stone. Enjoy all the great games this weekend. You too, Trevor. Always a pleasure coming on on a free-for-all Friday. Here on the Trevor J. Brown Show. Adopt U.S. Kids presents What to Expect When You're Expecting A Teenager Learning the Lingo GOAT G-O-A-T Acronym Stands for Greatest of All Time As in Spaghetti Sandwiches for Dinner They're my fave Dad You're the GOAT You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same Visit AdoptUSKids.org Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Adopt U.S. Kids and the Ad Council how was your drive to school? Let me tell you. I had to get my iced coffee first. I just can't seem to put it down. My favorite rapper just announced a tour. My phone was buzzing like crazy. I'm so excited. I had to text all my friends right then to talk about it. Then, someone started calling me and... Let's try that again. I turned my phone off right away. I never drive distracted. Visit stoptextstoprex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. This is the Trevor J. Brown Show on the Inherent Dream Podcast Network. Here's your parting gift. Once again, here's Trevor. I had a commentary a few weeks ago about podcasts and how they've jumped the shark. I have another reason why podcasts have jumped the shark, or perhaps why humans in general have jumped the shark. Well, at least some of you. It's because of the general intention of most podcasts. For the most part, buffoons like myself have a podcast to inform or to give some opinion. I tend to think we do a good job with giving both, but in terms of opinion, I tell you my opinion and then my thesis. You see, you need to provide some evidence as to why another person should be persuaded to think the way that you do. You cannot just persuade with feelings. And you hear that a lot these days. I feel this. I feel that. If you don't offer a thesis, then you're just a blowhard. And for the macho man generation above me that criticized every move we made and everything we said and celebrated us with participation trophies and complained that we needed them and that everyone needs to be a winner. Just remember, Gen X, you are the ones who gave us these trophies. We didn't want to hurt your feelings and throw them in the garbage, but that's what we wanted to do. For a generation that allegedly prides itself on not being emotional and not caring about feelings, I sure hear many in this generation talking about them these days. The latest example... The discussion and voting on the new Minnesota state seal and flag. For the record, my God, I don't care. When in your life have you ever paid attention to the state flag or seal? Unless there is some heinous image on it, it could be a blue square of fabric for all I care, or green, or brown, or black, or white. I really don't care one way or another, but honestly, how miserable do you have to be in your life to sit on social media and openly complain at the designs? That's all it's been for a month. I've seen designs described as clip art, terrible, amateur. Most of the people voicing these opinions, keep in mind, are the average to below average kids from high school that never took a chance at anything in life. They played it safe. They played it safe with their job, they played it safe with dating, and they peaked. And now they have to take it out on their keyboard. Because their life, well, it sucks. But it sucks because of the choices that they made. 
So to validate themselves, they have to complain about everything in the history of the world. And they have to have an opinion about everything in the history of the world. Thanks, Elon Musk, for protecting this form of free speech on your platform. At least now, 45 to 60-year-old white dudes can feel validated for their choices. And honest to God, that's what it is. Twitter or X or whatever the hell it's called these days has just turned into Xers, many of whom on this platform are white dudes aged 45 to 60, taking out their frustrations with their choices by voicing their concerns over the most mundane things in life. Imagine if they put that passion into improving their own lives or their communities. If you are losing sleep over the design of the Minnesota flag and state seal, you honestly need some help. Go find some joy in your life. And if you're going to have an opinion, tell me why. No one cares about your feelings on a subject, but some evidence... Bring that. Then we can talk. Then we can listen. Then we can have a discussion. Then we can have a debate. But until then, please, for the love of humanity, choose your battles. Everything doesn't require a hard-hitting opinion. Sometimes it's okay to say, pass. Thanks for listening. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to The Trevor J. Brown Show on the Inherent Dream Podcast Network. Be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And give us a like at facebook.com backslash Inherent Dream. This has been The Trevor J. Brown Show. The opinions expressed on this show do not express the views of staff, management, or sponsors of Inherent Dream Production Company or streaming services where the show may be heard. The Trevor J. Brown Show is produced by Inherent Dream Production Company. This is the Inherent Dream Podcast Network.